0: For those who are listening outside of these walls, you're listening to the services of the Broomfield Baptist Church. This is the pastor bringing the Sunday morning message, continuing where we've been studying already. And I want to continue our title that we looked at last week. We started studying in this passage in Matthew chapter number 7, looking at Jesus' reassurance to his disciples of righteous religion. And uh, let me just clarify that title so there's no confusion. Reassurance comes from asking, seeking, and knocking. Until you know God has heard you. And once you have sought the Lord and are walking with Him, James tells us what true religion in the Scriptures is all about. He tells us that pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and the widows and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Notice that Religion follows after salvation. Religion is not the way of salvation. Religion is not the means of earning any grace from God. Religion is not a system of good works to try to outweigh our bad so that when we stand before God in the end, one will outweigh the other. If that's the approach you take, my friend, it will leave you short. And you will face a valley of decision. And one day the books will be opened and the book will be opened. And if your name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life, the words that our Savior says here and later in chapter Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter number 7, He says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life by faith, their heavenly home is secure. Now once we know the Lord by faith, We make a decision. The Lord, walking by the seashore of Galilee, called his disciples. He did it backwards. You know, usually a parent would look at a rabbi on that day and say, you know, I'd like for my son to follow this rabbi, rabbi so-and-so, and and he'll grow up to to be a good teacher for Israel. And that's what I desire for my child. And so then the parent would approach the rabbi and say, rabbi so-and-so, can my son follow in your footsteps? And the rabbi would uh, either accept or decline that disciple Jesus completely flipped it on its head he walking by the seashore saw just ordinary common everyday men fishermen and he pointed them out and he said follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men and they left all and followed him So they had already accepted who He was according to the prophesied Scriptures. They held in their hands the revelation of God that said, Messiah is coming. And they believed Jesus was the one. And they believed with all their heart. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And they gave their life to Jesus and said, we will follow You at Your invitation. So believing on Him as Savior and following Him in discipleship, this is where The road of real religion begins. This is where your works are done. Because you've already believed. You do what you do. To point others to God. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And it's content is it not? To be salt and to be light. As following Jesus so that others may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven, that they might be converted, that they might have an aha moment, that they might come to themselves and say, I have to do with God. And one day all will stand accountable before Him. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so as disciples, what do we do? There's a blueprint that the Lord gave us for a blessed life. And it begins in that introductory portion of this so-called Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are, and you fill in the blank with those eight beatitudes that are given as He wraps our attention around every word that proceeds from His mouth from there forth. And as we, in our minds, sit on that hillside with the disciples on that day when Jesus began to teach this, we're enthralled. We're, We're enraptured, hanging on everything. As he moves into the main content of what he's going to deal with, he talks about being salt and light. He talks about the persecution that will come for them following him and making the decision to come out from the world and to be different. And that it's not going to be a bed of roses. That if you're being salt, you're going to leave burns along the way and you're going to hold back corruption and people are going to have a problem when you tell them that they're wrong according to the Word of God. Not because you know better, but because God has revealed the way that's right. And when we walk contrary to that, we're walking in unrighteousness. And when we expose that before people, it's abrasive to them. And there's persecution that comes. Nevertheless, we have a great resource. We have the Word of God. What's our relationship to it? Well, in this day on that hillside, those that would hold the Word of God would hold from Genesis to Malachi in their hands. Because the New Testament had not been penned by this time. We have the full canon of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation. And so we have the guidebook. We have the roadmap to follow. We have the compass that leads us on the true course as we follow Christ. Hang on every word of this book now. What's our relationship to it? It's from God and the law in particular. What's our relationship to the Old Testament? Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the law that was given to Moses for the children of Israel. And he's not come to do away with the law. No, on the contrary, he's come to fulfill it. Every jot, every tittle will be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass, but his word shall not pass. And so what's our relationship to this? As we pour over the Pentateuch, as we look at Moses and the prophets, as we study the Old Testament, as we walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called, through and through the word of God begins to change us. We see God's mind revealed in the Old Testament, in the law and the prophets. We see how we ought to to emulate God as followers of Christ. We see how we, we are to walk in a relationship with Him that is right, which then spills over to a relationship with each other which is right. And as disciples, the world looks and says, you've got something that I don't have. There's a joy. There's a peace. Even though you're mourning and you're weeping and you're crying, there's a joy deep down inside that circumstance can't take away. And you have your eyes fixed solidly on heaven. And on what is to come through the promises of the word of God. I yearn for that. The world begins to hunger. And they begin to seek. And they begin to search. Because of your life. You're not perfect. Oh, but you're called to be perfect. Even as your father in heaven is perfect. So, when you stumble along the way. The Bible says a just man falleth seven times and riseth again. Know that you have a heavenly father who gave you this sermon through his son Jesus Christ who who yearns for you to keep up keep going keep going when you fall arise again through the strength of the spirit within you and put one foot in front of the other for the kingdom of God and say lord I'm going to do it again but I'm going to do it more like you this time and by the time you come to the end of your journey of sanctification on the precipice of glorification you'll look more like Jesus along that trail because you're following after him always having Him in your sights, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. So understand, Jesus is giving reassurance to His followers about their religion. What is their religion? To point others to God. How are they going to do that? By getting their eyes off themselves and looking to the needs of those around them. We heard tremendous testimony this morning. I mean, how do you follow that? I don't know, but the Spirit is with us. And that's a testimony to God's grace working through His people. That's not something that I as a pastor can orchestrate. I can't administrate that. That's from the love of God's people lifting each other up and caring for one another and not letting someone go unobserved because we are reaching out to those around us, fulfilling the law of Christ following his disciples. And it's great to do that with our church family. But there's a whole world right out here. There's a whole community of Broomfield that needs that loving touch, that needs to know. We're not here just to bigotly, uh, if that's even a word, I don't know, just shove what we believe down people's throats. All we're looking for, and I've mentioned this before, is the freedom to be able to tell everybody that Jesus has forgiven my sins and that I was once lost and undone and he saved me. And He lifted me to a place in my life where I could never go myself. And I just want everybody to know how good He is. And all all have sinned. Yes, I'm in that number. But by God's grace, He saved me. Matthew chapter 7. I want you to look at one verse. And on this hangs everything that Jesus has said from Matthew 5, 17 on. Why do I say that? Because of the words... This is the law and the prophets. This is the law and the prophets. You'll see a bookend. If you look at chapter 5 verse 17. He mentions the law and the prophets there. That begins the body. And here. The climax of it all. Prayer <laughs> hangs on this. Almsgiving hangs on this. Charitable works hangs on this. Corporate prayer hangs on this. Legal situations hang on this. How you are to act in a courtroom hangs on this. What you are to do in your marriage relationships hang on this. How you're to guard the gates of your eyes hangs on this. How you're to watch the hatred in your heart hangs on this. All of it hangs on this. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 12. Read it out loud with me if you would. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. What more can you add to that? That is such a summary statement. It begins with the word therefore. And the reason why I tie this back to chapter 5 and verse 17 is because the preceding verse, chapter 7 and 11, says, if ye then. It's the same conjunction in the original. If ye then, being evil, That ties it to the immediate context of prayer. Ask, seek, knock. And that ties it really to verses 7, chapter 7, verses 1, up through verse 11. And I see that all as one unit. And here in verse 12, he gives one transitory statement. You know, as a preacher, we honed this, and I'm still working on it. I don't know why you guys ever put up with me, but I try, and, and I. I carve things out. You know, Scripture is what God made. The sermon is what we make from what God made. That's the easiest way I can explain it to you. And and others have explained it that way as well. And so as I formulate, what in the world am I going to say? Lord, I don't have anything to say when I get up in front of these people. He knew that. I'm glad he did. That's why he gave me 66 books to work on because he knows (laughs) I'll never exhaust it for the rest of my life. And I'll always have something to preach when I stand up here because I have the word of God. And so I don't come on my own authority. I come on the authority of the word of God as a friend, as a brother, reaching out to you saying, look at the scriptures. Look what's here. Let's lay it open a little bit deeper and let's consider the broader context. And then if I just teach you the Bible, well, I belong in a Sunday school classroom. That's wonderful. But the bridge comes when you see what I have seen here and what God is saying to you through this. We can understand what he said to them. But if you don't understand what God said to you through the message, then you'll leave just with head knowledge and it won't impact your heart. You see, preaching is teaching with a call to action. So in this Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus teaching with a call to action? Absolutely. Does he have a proposition? Yes. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Does he have transition statements? Yes, he does. This is one of them in in chapter 7, verse number 12. And so as he transitions really to what others have called the conclusion of his sermon, I don't know if I'm prepared to say he's concluding yet because when I took speech class and voice and articulation, uh, I learned that conclusion, you don't usually introduce new material, right? That's one of the laws of conclusions. You don't bring anything new. You can summarize and you can go back and do all that. Well, so if we're going to say this is a conclusion, we've got a lot of new material to look through here. It's almost like proverbial statements: this, 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 this. And I pointed them out to you before, but just notice verse, uh, verse twelve. He says everything hangs on this. Verse thirteen, he says enter. Verse fifteen, he says beware. Verse, uh, verse, well, where's it at? Keep going to the end. I think those are the other, the other two that are left. There may be one more that I'm missing. And so. You see, he's still got some more things that we need to listen to as his disciples. We need to beware. There's a reason for that. So as he begins to wind down what he's teaching, he's going to give some warnings, and then he's going to leave us with some illustrations that's going to drive his point home for us to be able to chew on that. So this transition statement, what a transition. Therefore, all things... Whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, even or do ye even so to them. Okay, explain that, Lord, for this is the law and the prophets. The word is there uh, maybe could be understood as the essence of. This is the essence of all the law and the prophets. Everything that was written from Genesis to Malachi, this is the essence of it. What is it? Don't wait for them to come to you. What would you want someone to do for you? Get after it. Go after that. Don't wait. Don't do this for reciprocation. You don't wait uh, thinking, and some have wrongly mit, uh, misunderstood this, I believe, because they take the, the purpose clause and they do something with it that I don't think the Lord intended because of the, the moods and things that are happening here. So it's not a purpose. In other words, we don't do good to other people in order to for the purpose of getting back from them. No, if we're going to follow Christ, we give and we expect nothing in return. Nothing. No one owes us anything. And if we can order our lives, Paul says, owe no man anything. And so the heart of the law and the prophets is, get your eyes on God first and foremost. And that's going to lead you to consider others around you. What would you want them to do to you? It's pretty simple to understand, right? What would you desire Now, be honest. (laughs) Don't say, you know, I'd want them to give me a million bucks. Yeah, sure, okay. Um, Let's stay in reality. Let's use common sense, all right? How would you want them to treat you? If your car breaks down, would you want them to do what so many do today? And I understand there's safety concerns. And, you know, if you're going to stop and help someone on the side of the road, you need to know what you're doing. You need to be careful because there are people out there that will take advantage of you and run right over you and not even think twice about it. Our prison system's full of them. And they seem to be multiplying by the droves because we've left our moorings of morality. But if you were there on the side of the road, wouldn't you want somebody, anybody? Especially, you know, when you get in somewhere like Wyoming on the side of an exit, you know, people just driving by and you're trying to wash your eyes out with water. Yeah, okay, some of you know what I'm referring to saving your kids, you know, from their incidents and things. Life, you know, takes over. Uh, there was one person. There was one person that rolled their window down and said, "Hey, are you guys okay?" And I'm like, "Please don't stop. This is. I just keep going. We'll be fine. We'll figure it out." <laughs> but they, you know, they just kept going. They did at least ask. You know, it's kind of like uh, when I was skiing the other day. I was going, so yeah, I was going. And so this lady just tumbled. I mean, it was it was really bad wreck she had, and I felt bad. And I was. I didn't know what I was doing. I was still teaching myself. And so I asked her, you know, are you okay? But there I go. I'll send somebody up, you know, later. Just hang tight if you need. I'm okay, I'm okay. All right, right. that's good. At least, you know, you want somebody to stop. You want somebody to at least care. Can't we be observant? What would you want someone to do for you? Then go out of your way and do that for them. That's going to take some sacrifice. That's going to take some... Some labor of love, and that's gonna probably cost you something in the end that you may never get back, materially speaking. But you know what? Jesus just told us how to lay up our treasure in heaven, didn't he? We? we put it up there, and God is the rewarder. Hebrews eleven six. If we believe God, we believe that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Without faith it's impossible to please him. Everything we do hinges on this faith. And so as we continue our studies, looking at this passage dealing with prayer, let me just remind you where we've gone. We looked at the disciples' plea alongside the Father's provision, verses 7 through 11. The principle here is simply put this way. God's needy children, right? That's the condition. you belong to Him, then you can go to Him as your Father, and He'll hear you, and you know your prayers are going to be answered when you pray according to His will. The principle is if you are in need and you are a child of God, you can go to him any time. He's not like Zeus with lightning bolts. You can approach him and he's approachable and he yearns for you to come through Jesus Christ to his throne of mercy to find grace to help in time of need. We stay persistent in our prayer and we have those prayers realized. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. All things whatsoever we ask in his name will have. We persist in prayer until we prevail in prayer. We keep knocking. It's the iterative. Over and over, 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 we keep knocking. We keep seeking. You know, when you're looking for something you've lost, I don't know about you, but I turn the whole place upside down until I find it. And the best place to start is to start cleaning. We do a lot of that sometimes, don't we? I don't know where this went. And so I clean it and clean everything, and lo and behold, there it is. And it turns up. Not always, but most of the time it does. But I keep seeking. I don't stop until I'm there. Prevailing. If you're going to prevail, you have to keep doing it. You have to keep knocking. You have to keep asking. And uh, you ask for what you want. You seek for what you're missing. You knock for what you're closed out from and what you need access to. The Larsons have been knocking on China's door for a long time now because God's going to open that door and it seems they're going to be able to get in and see that open. You see they've persisted. They haven't given up. The picture is given after the principal is laid. The principal is if you have a need and you're God's child, come to him anytime, You can ask. You can see if you can knock. he will never wear him out. He'll never get tired of you being there. He wants you to be there. He's approachable, and he'll help you. Then he gives you a picture. An earthly son has a simple request. No practical jokers here, okay? A loving father is going to do what's right for his son. If his son comes and asks for bread, he's not going to give him a rock. If he comes and asks for a fish, he's not going to give him a snake. If he comes and asks for for an egg, he's not going to give him a scorpion. Thank you, Luke. That's an interesting one to think about. And so if that's how an earthly father handles things, what about our heavenly father? An earthly father's good gifts, a heavenly father's supernatural response. You see, God goes exceedingly abundantly above all we ever ask or think. We know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more? How much more? How much more? Does our Heavenly Father give good things to them that ask Him? So based off all of this, this leads us to verse number 12 to consider the disciples' passion in light of the law's perfection. The law is not evil because we can't keep it. You see, we all fall short, and the law is our schoolmaster, and Jesus perfected it all. You see, that is such a relief to me to know that I don't have to I don't have to cross every T. I don't have to dot every I. Now, it doesn't mean that I should just live loosely and and live however I want to, but Jesus already fulfilled that. And and I get to live in His righteousness. And I get to try to emulate Him as much as I can. My sins, those areas where I didn't cross the T, those areas where I'm going to fail to dot the I, that's all under the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, keeps on cleaning. It cleanseth us from all sin. That's my plea at the bar of God. And like you, if you're saved, I'm going to say the same thing. The Lord's going to have that list. You know, well, I should say, I should say it this way, actually, according to the illustration, it'll work better. The devil's going to have a list. The accuser of the brethren. Yeah. What about this? Oh, on this date, you remember this time? You remember that word? You remember that thing you said right here? Remember that thought? Remember this? All of that. He's got it all, and he's taking copious notes. And my Savior is my advocate. He's the propitiation for my sins according to 1 John chapter 2. And when I stand before the bar of God, it's going to be like all that is just not even there because it was put on Him on Calvary. He died in my place as though He were before me. We sang that in that song, Thank You, Lord, for taking my place. That's what Jesus did. He died so that I wouldn't have to. To pay for my sins for eternity. What a truth. And so as I follow him, my heart becomes aflame to say, Lord, I want to give back. I I want to do for you because of all you've done for me. Now, he hasn't even been to Calvary yet, and he's saying these words in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the very beginning of his ministry. And he has the cross before him yet. And he knows what's to come. His disciples won't figure it out until later, but he knows what lies ahead of him. But do you sense, after Jesus Christ's death, burial, resurrection, ascension, do you sense that the disciples who became the apostles had a passion for God? Do you see where they really learned something from the Sermon on the Mount? As Peter and John would walk through that temple courtyard one day and see that that lame man sitting by the gate beautiful, and Peter would admittedly say, silver and gold have I none, turn his pockets out, I'm broke, I don't have money, I can't give you an alms. But such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, arise and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. We sing that in Sunday school, right? And so I think Peter got it. After his conversion, he preached the kingdom of heaven. He preached Jesus Christ resurrected, who conquered death in the grave. This is the message of hope. And so how do we fulfill the law? It's through Christ, because he did it for us. And so as we emulate Him, as we do for others what He did for us, that's how we show other people who the Lord is. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would. That's all-encompassing. That's not picking and choosing. All means all, no matter how you spell it, no matter how it looks in there, it still means all. That's what my preacher in Georgia used to tell me. All is all, and that's all all means. It's all. All of it. All things whatsoever. You don't get to pick and choose in this one. Put yourself in their shoes. What would you want someone to do for you? Don't wait for them to come to you. You just do it. You don't need permission. Now, you want to be kind. Maybe there's some things you need to ask. You know, I got a message recently asking if someone could be a blessing to us and and somehow they felt like they needed to ask that and if it would be okay. That's fine. You can ask that, but don't fall shy of the blessing just because someone says, "No, no, no, I'm okay. If you perceive a need that is there and you can help, you should do it. Some way, somehow, you should intervene. Because if you don't and you just let them go on in their sin, you're going to let them drive off that precipice, so to speak. They're going to stand before God one day. God forbid their blood be on your hands. Because you could have done something and didn't. And you let them go. No, we stand in the way, we wave our arms and say, don't go that way, there's a better way, there's a, there's a road of hope, there's a hope, road of life. The bridge is out down here, it's death that way. And Jesus is about to talk about the two ways, isn't it? The two roads, the broad and the straight, the narrow. So here we're reminded that if we are to expect our Father to act in a fatherly way to us by giving us good things, we also need to act in a brotherly way to our neighbor's. On this hangs all the Law and the Prophets. Other passages, many other verses talk about that. And, you know, Wiersbe made a comment that, that was interesting on this passage, the late Warren Wiersbe. And on this verse, he said, we ought not build our theology on this verse. Going back to the condition of you need to be saved first, his, his words were this. He said, we should no more build our theology on the golden rule than we should build our astronomy on twinkle, twinkle, little star. I agree with Dr. Wearsby on that. This is not a systematic theology. This is not a biblical theology. This is is life, where the rubber meets the road. This is how we walk with Jesus and for Jesus, all the while looking to point others to Christ. And so as the Lord's disciples continued through their ministry, I think that this was a teaching they kept going back to and back to and back to. Because you see it reiterated. This isn't the only time that Jesus is going to teach this. Okay, He's going to teach it in the Sermon on the Plain. He's going to bring these truths out all along his ministry. And that's a good thing because repetition is the key to memory, and I need to hear things over and over in order for them to stick sometimes. Well, this one's stuck. This one's stuck. And I would compare it maybe to uh to you know what we have going on with a piano. All right, at the turn of the 19th century, there was something that happened to the harpsichord that revolutionized music. Originally, a harpsichord, it was named a harpsichord because it you had little hammers that would actually pluck the strings. I can't imagine what it would be like. I've never played one that actually plucked the strings. Maybe you have. I would think that 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 would take a very special a uh, lot of practice time for me for sure to be able to hit that and pluck it like a harp. And so the the change came when the invention was made like this. Uh, Someone sat down with that and said, you know, why are we plucking the strings? Why don't we put a hammer on there instead and just hit the strings instead of pluck them? We'll just change, you know, one little alteration, and it revolutionized Bach. It revolutionized Beethoven. Because now they're writing scores that lead into all those piano arrangements and orchestrations, all because of a simple little change, just change from plucking to hammering. And so up to this time, I mean, it's documented. I won't bore you with all the details. The school of Hillel, uh, you know, Socrates, uh, the the Greeks, the the Athenians, uh, you can go all the way back even to the Egyptians, perhaps. I mean, this is age old, but every emphasis up to this point when Jesus gave this that I can find is on the negative. Don't do to somebody else what you wouldn't want them to do to you. And so just by tweaking it slightly, and saying, let's stop focusing on the negative so much. The negative is included in that. But the positive is, what would you want them to do to you? Positive. Do that for them. And so that changes the whole outlook, doesn't it? It's no longer walking this tightrope of, of, oh, I'm going to step over the line too much here. Or, or I'm going to walk in this negative path. No, this is liberating. This is freedom. This is knowing that our sins are under the blood. That now, when we stand before God, we'll stand before God in the blood of Jesus Christ. And that frees us up to be able to say, what can I do to help somebody else? My sins are paid for. Now it's going to change why you fast. Remember the lesson on fasting? My whole point to you there was, if you're fasting to get right with God, you're fasting for the wrong reason. That's what the Jews did to fast And they fasted and fasted because they were in trouble with God. How much better would it be if you fasted to help somebody else? That is, you went without a meal so that they could have one because they're hungry. Does that make sense? Fasting. Praying. Lord, how can I help this person? What can I do for them to bring them to you? Notice the heart desires Go along with the helping hands. All things. Therefore, I mean, just one word encapsulates everything he said from chapter 5, verse 17. It all hangs on right here. Therefore. Therefore. The law's ultimate exemplification. When we walk the way Jesus encourages us to walk, we'll exemplify the spirit of the law that God intended. What is his mind? What God wants us to do for others what we would have them do for us. That's the whole spirit of it. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 says, He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? Okay, here it is. What's the requirement, Lord? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Can you do those things? Should you not hear the words which the Lord hath cried by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity... When Jerusalem was in her heyday, these prophets lifted up their voice and told you what God expected. In the cities thereof round about her, when men inhabited the south and the plain, and the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Are you listening? Execute true judgment. Show mercy and compassions, plural. Compassions. Every man to his brother. Oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor, and let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. How far has America drifted from our Christian moorings, from our Judeo-Christian heritage? If we would just return to this, our nation would be so much better. But no, uh, we look, we dream up for new ways to extort other people. And to take advantage of those around us. To put as many as we can to usury because we understand interest now. We bring people into bondage. No, let's liberate. Let's be a people of liberation and a people of freedom that says, this is the way, walk in it. And it doesn't cost money. You don't have to have money to buy this treasure. You just come by faith and receive it through Jesus Christ. And so let me encourage you as a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to develop an active prayer life. Because that is where you're going to find the resources you need when you're at your wits end and don't know how to help this person. But you want you would want them to do this for you, but you can't do it for them. That's when you go and you ask. Lord, let me provide for them. Or some way. So It doesn't have to be me. It's not about me. Lord, just put this in their place so that they can have what they need. Lord, do this. You need to be able to get a hold of heaven. You might have to fast to do it. You might have to spend some time on your knees in your prayer closet to do it. You might have to give out of your abundance in order to help someone else. You see how it all hinges and ties together? Now I'll close with this. One person uh, talked about prayer, and he summarized it with just three phrases. He said, pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. You know, it's not just some little set of words you do and then, okay, now we move on our way. Pray until you know you've prayed and you know you've connected with God. Stay on your knees. Be persistent until you prevail. Pray until you are conscious of being heard. That was how he put it. Do you know you've been heard? Do you know God has spoken from heaven and revealed what it is to you that you need to do to move forward until He has provided and showed up? He said, if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it'll be open. Has it been open? Have you found? Has it been given? Then don't stop until it has been. Pray until you're conscious of being heard. Pray until you receive an answer. How important is that? How long should I pray about something? As long as it takes. As long as it takes. Don't get weary in well-doing, for you will reap if you faint not. God knows how to give us good things. And so, our prayer is alongside Israel, and we say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Because that will be the ultimate answer to it all. There's a poem that was written called, Vain are Terrestrial Pleasures. Vain are all terrestrial pleasures. You've been kind to listen to me, and uh, I just want to close so you can think about this. With these vanities of vanities, all these vanity and vexation of spirit. Listen to how this writer put it: vain are all terrestrial pleasures, mixed with dross the purest gold. Seek we then for heavenly treasures, treasures never waxing old. Well, that sounds like Matthew six nineteen following to me. What about you? He goes on: let our best affections center on the things around the throne. There no thief can ever enter. Moth and rust are there unknown. Earthly joys no longer please us. Here would we renounce them all. Seek our only rest in Jesus. Him, our Lord and Master call. Faith, our languid spirits cheering, points to brighter worlds above, bids us look for his appearing, bids us triumph in his love. May our light be always burning. And our loins be girded around, waiting for our Lord's returning, longing for the welcome sound. Thus the Christian life adorning. Never need we be afraid. Should he come at night or morning, early dawn or evening shade? Are you looking for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you set your hand to the plow, not looking back? Are you fulfilling this pivotal statement What would you want someone to do for you? Get after it. Don't wait. Go down. Jesus tells you, this is the way. This is how you fulfill all the law and the prophets. That's his word. Won't you follow Jesus and open your eyes and look for someone, someone to help today.